Hi, everyone, and welcome to Badass Women at Any Age. This is your host, Bonnie Marcus. Each week, I introduce you to an amazing, badass woman who is challenging the status quo and owning her talent and her power. And I'm really excited for you to meet my guest today, Jeannie Edmonds. And hold on to your seats because Jeannie is going to take us on a really exciting journey about her life and career. And she's had an incredible journey so far. Before I introduce Jeannie, I have an exciting announcement. For those of you going through menopause now or maybe in perimenopause, I know you'll be extremely interested in learning more about my sponsor, Kindra. Kindra is a company providing natural menopause relief and support and will be sponsoring my podcast starting this month in January. For more information about Kindra, you can visit their website, ourkindra.com. Now, let me introduce Jeannie Edmonds. Jeannie has lived an extraordinary life. Starting with no experience or connections, she's made her mark in politics, journalism, documentaries, publishing, infomercials, and startup companies. She's been held up by machine gun in El Salvador. She sang in the White House, acted in a Korean soap opera, launched a startup, and started over more than most people. Jeannie was the producer of Larry King's national radio show, a CNN reporter in Seoul and Kiev, executive editor of Healthy Living magazine, producer of CBS Morning News, Face the Nation, and Nightwatch. Since 2011, she has been an advisor and mentor to startup companies in the United States and internationally. And she's the author of the book, Start Me Up. Jeannie, welcome to Badass Women. Thank you so much, Bonnie. You know, after reading your bio, I think it would be shorter to focus on things you haven't done. You know what? I feel like I need to take a nap after hearing it myself. I can't believe I lived that life. And thank you for saying I'm not done yet, because I do feel like I'm not done yet. Oh, absolutely. I I wouldn't believe that for a minute. So though it would be probably a shorter interview to talk about, you know, (laughs) what you haven't done. Let's dive into (laughs) what you have done. What's been your journey so far? Well, I think my journey started with curiosity. My mother used to say I drove her crazy because I was always asking questions. I was always a curious child. I was never a badass child, though. I think that that can only apply to me post 60. You know, something happens to you when you turn 60 and you kind of own your badassery. But when I was younger, I was confused, lost. I lived in a small town in the South. I knew that there was a big wide world out there, but I just didn't know how to get there, you know? And I started out in life one of four children. We lived in a former Methodist parsonage. It had one bathroom for six people. I don't know how we got through that part of it, just that (laughs) simple part of it. But we weren't poor and I didn't feel poor when we were growing up. Just was kind of, you know, lost on the planet earth. I knew that I wasn't in my place. And of course I was one of those kids that 
was convinced that I was adopted. I was probably a princess or, you know, belonged to some other family. I was supposed to be somewhere else in some exotic <laughs> location in the world instead of that one horse town that I grew up in, 1,000 people. Nice town, nice people, but, you know, it was small for my curious personality. So when I was 16, I guess the first part of my journey started when I was 15. My parents sent me to Paraguay to live with a family for the summer. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed to another culture, another language. I was already studying Spanish, so it was really helpful with my Spanish. And then the next summer, I went to Spain to live with a family who didn't speak any English. So it kind of got the travel bug in me. And I, I just started to feel that I could take risks and I could just follow my nose and see opportunities and jump on them when they presented themselves. And it didn't really matter if I was traveling in a straight line. You know, I really wanted the wandering road and the journey. I'm not the type of personality that would have been happy in one job for my entire career ever. Yet my brothers are that way. Two of my brothers are that way. They've just been in the same type of profession and they've become excellent at it. But it's just not my personality. Yeah, I mean, so you want me to tell you all the things I did? You just said all the things I did. So I don't think. Yeah, we well, I'd like to know more about it. So, it, you know, it sounds like you would never turn down an opportunity, you know, when a door opened. You were curious Including enough. the elevator door. <laughs> Including <laughs> the elevator door that opened on the floor of Mutual Radio Network, and I ended up as Larry King's producer. I mean, that was a complete accident. Get off the elevator on the wrong floor, go to Mutual Radio, and end up as Larry King's producer. And I'd never worked in radio before. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I did know how to talk and have a conversation, and I appreciated good conversations. And I think Larry saw that in me, but they also saw that I was cheap talent. You know, as you saw in my book, you know, they paid me an extra $10 a week to book guests for the Larry King show. So they knew they nobody else would do it for that price. So I said, okay. And a lot of it has to do with saying yes to opportunities that may you may feel are beneath you, but then you grow and learn and push. And if it doesn't work out, you move on, you know? Yeah. Well, your career certainly hasn't been linear. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting how, you know, you, how you, you realized also from an early age that you you didn't fit into into that mold. Yeah. But you didn't yet know what the future would bring. You were just yeah. wide open to figuring out what that would be one step at a time. That's true, you know, and I thought when I was writing this book as a woman, as a woman over 60, I was writing this book and I was thinking, okay, women are really going to relate to this because there's a lot of personal stuff in the mm -hmm. book too. And the reason I put all the personal stuff in is because I feel like even as entrepreneurs, even as professional women, we're still people. We have stuff that happens in our lives. You know, sometimes really bad stuff happens, good stuff, whatever, but we're humans. And so I really wanted to bring that aspect of it in. But um, but I think you're right. I think, you know, I just wanted to be open to all the possibility, being open and being curious and being somewhat fearless. And a part of that, I think, comes from being bullied in childhood, too. When you get bullied, you can withdraw 
And I did for uh, years, you know, I felt in a lot of pain and I felt I would never be popular and I became a people pleaser, you know, Mm -hmm. even more so than a Southern woman generally is. (laughs) I had steroids, you know, and I became a people pleaser. And then because I became a people pleaser, I really didn't push for myself during my career. So therefore, I took a lot of jobs that they paid me a lot less than they should have, but I was having fun. So I didn't care. I mean, to me, the barometer was, is this fun? Is it interesting? Am I learning stuff? Am I meeting interesting people? And am am I doing cool things? And the answer for every job I've ever had has been yes. Well, I mean, I've never been bored. Yeah, but I have to really still bring up the the point that, yeah, I mean, like with Larry King, you know, maybe you didn't fight for more money, but the way you got that job <laughs> was still pretty badass, Jeannie. Do, do you want to tell my listeners? Well, you know, I got off the elevator on the wrong floor. I was waiting in the reception area and, you know, these doors all need badges to go into, you know, and and people were coming in and out of the doors and ignoring me, you know. So I sat there for a long time. I think it was like half an hour. I sat there and finally I was getting ready to leave. And this woman comes out and she says, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm like to be considered for a job. She said, give me your resume. She ran back, talked to the news director, ran back and got me. And this news director pulled me in and he said, I'm going to make you the next Connie Chung. I'm going to put you on the air. I'm going to make you famous. But meanwhile, will you just like do these timesheets and rip this wire copy and do all this, you know, sweep the newsroom kind of work? I said, sure. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I said, sure, I'd do it. So and then he gets fired like two months later, he gets fired. So I don't have a rabbi there. And it's always important to have a mentor or a mm-hmm. rabbi, you know, in any job that you go into. But I didn't have one. So fortunately, the next news director that came in was very kind and nice and helped me out. And, you know, but I'm telling you, when I went to look for a raise after being there for a couple of years and doing a really great job getting the number of radio stations up from 30 to 300, I went into the president of the company in December and I said, you know, I really want a raise. And he said, I'm sorry, things are tight. I can't give you a raise. $210 a week is quite a bit of money. But hey, here's a ham. He reached into his prize closet and gave me a ham. And I thought, okay, that's really bad. I don't need a smoked ham. I need money. I cannot pay my rent with a smoked ham. I had to sell my car one month to pay my rent. I can't believe he gave you a ham. And my parents told me, Yeah, he gave me a ham and the ham I couldn't give to my landlord, you know. So I, when you get to the point where you have to sell your car to pay your rent, you know, that's pretty desperate. I just left, you know, I left without having anything else to do. But the good thing is when you're not making much money, you can always find some other job that pays you very little money. So, yeah. And so I took an interim job there. I'm sorry. Where did you go from there? Well, I took an interim job at the World Bank doing a temporary thing, working for a very smart man from Switzerland. I learned a lot about the East African Development Bank, which I didn't know anything about. And then in the meantime, I had been talking to the producer of The Tomorrow Show, which your audience may remember, Tom Snyder, late night show on NBC. And I'd been giving him ideas throughout the year when I was doing Larry King based on some guests that we had that I thought Tom might like. 
And so I called him up after I quit. I said, Bob, you know, I've quit my job and I'd really like to go and work in TV. And he said, well, have you ever worked in TV? I said, no, but, you know, I feel like I could do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I sold everything I had, which was not very much. And I moved to New York and, you know, the executive producer there said, OK, I'll hire you on a temporary six week basis. And so I sold everything I had and moved to New York. And then at the six week mark, I said, well, can I stay? And she said, well, what do you mean stay? And I said, well, you know, this was only a six week job. She said, well, of course you're staying. So then I stayed for another year and then she got canned. And then Roger Ailes, the, mm -hmm. who used to run Fox News, came in as executive producer. So I worked for Roger for a year. And that was quite an experience. I worked for Roger Ailes. I worked for Charlie Rose. Oh, boy. I, I never worked for Matt Lauer. Working for Larry King was a lot of fun, though. I have to say, Larry still owes me money for donuts. Bless your heart, Larry. You got away with that yeah. one. but So uh, he was more of a class act. He was hilarious. We just laughed all the time in that show. We laughed all the time. Tom was pretty funny, too. But Tom, you know, had this bad boy image. And he was actually very kind, and, but he didn't want people to know it. You know, <laughs> he was just like kind behind the scenes. He was one of those people. And then I worked for Diane Sawyer and Bill Curtis. Bill Curtis is a wonderful guy. Diane Sawyer was just this glamorous, you know, beautiful, smart woman who had worked in the Nixon administration. It was, you know, so I've worked with a lot of these people who are bold faced names, Leslie Stahl, you know, Bruce Jenner, when, when Caitlin was Bruce Jenner in the infomercial business. And, you know, you get comfortable around these people that people read about in People Magazine or see them on TMZ or something. And you realize that these people are, you know, they have frailties, they have doubts about themselves, they have family problems, they, you know, and it's not an enviable life being a celebrity, honestly. That's the one takeaway that I have from working with all these bull-faced names over the years. It's not enviable. I have a great life right now. I'm not rich, but I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I have had such a blessed life. I think that there have been some angels around me, no question, you know, angels around me, you know, that have guided me without me knowing it, I guess. I mean, first of all, I think you need to give yourself a lot more credit for <laughs> badassery because some of the ways you got these jobs and, you know, followed up on some of these up, you actually created opportunities. And well, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it's a combination of, well, there was an open door, you went through it, but also you opened the door, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to create your own luck in a lot of ways. That's true. And you have to be sometimes pushy, you know, and, and I was never pushy on salary, but I was pushy about having somebody give me a chance. You know, I just wanted a chance to show what I could do. Where does that come from? I, you just believed in yourself that you were confident you could do any new thing. You know, you're such a good interviewer that this is the first time I've been asked that and the first time that I'm thinking about that. And I think my positive, I know for sure, my positive, sunny, optimistic attitude came from my father. But my belief in myself must have come from the confidence I got 
actually in my first real job. I worked in the Texas legislature to support myself in college, my last two years of college. And working in that legislative environment and talking about politics as a young person in my early 20s and having people listen to me and care what I thought was very empowering. I just, you know, and then I realized politics is all bullshit. Marketing is all bullshit. There's, <laughs> can I say that word? I'm sorry. Absolutely. And, and you know what? There's and, a and, lot of bullshit. Yeah. So when you discovered that it was all bullshit, yeah. how did that change, you know, your feeling about being involved in all of it? Well, I, it's almost like, when you get to the point when you grow up and you're in your 20s, and you realize the adults really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, that everybody's still making it up as they go along. That's like, that's an incredible, empowering thing, right? And so when you get into the world of professional people, as even in the news business, you know, the news business is all about asking questions, listening well. It's about time. And it's also, I have to mention my ADD. I mean, I really... My ADD, which I've had to find workarounds to keep myself organized, you know, throughout my life, I've had to like figure out how to keep myself structured and organized within my ADD world. But my ADD world has made me very curious with a mile wide knowledge of a lot of things, but it's a few inches deep, right? When I worked in the Library of Congress, I worked around all experts, people who like were vertically deep, deep down, like miles into their little narrow area of knowledge, but they knew everything about that one thing. And I was fascinated being around people like that, being around experts. And they thought I was cool because I knew a lot of things, could talk about a lot of the interesting things and had had a lot of interesting experiences. So I would still be at that job today if we hadn't moved to Korea. I love that job so much. And what prompted the move to Korea? Was that when my you were a husband at the time? Uh, yeah, well, it started with my first husband. I got married when I was 33, and he was a lawyer, and he was miserable being a lawyer. And I said, Why don't you join the Foreign Service? He said, eh, I don't want to go stamp visas around the world. <laughs> so he delayed that for a few years. And then finally, <laughs> he did what he should have done because he went to Harvard Law, Fletcher School of International Diplomacy. He was totally prepared to be in the foreign services. And he spoke Russian fluently. So he finally took the State Department exam, got in, you know, it's a whole process that you go through. It takes about six or eight months to get hired in the foreign service. And he went through that whole process. And then we got our first assignment in Korea. And when we got to Korea, I said, hmm, you know, CNN has a bureau here, but they don't have a reporter. Let me just fax something to them and see if they'll hire me as a reporter. And I'd never been on camera before. And so I faxed my headshot and my resume to Eason Jordan, who was the head of international at CNN. And he hired me and I was on the air there for two years while we lived there. You know, I did two or three stories a week for two years. It was fantastic. But I was flying around in a helicopter with the president and my husband's in the embassy stamping visas like a oh, bank no. teller, you know, sitting next to an interpreter, you know, just stamping visas and listening to these stories that people tell about wanting to come to the United States. They make up all this crazy stuff. One week, it was a story 
of the PhDs who wanted to be chicken pluckers in Alabama. And, you know, all the visa officers were on the line. They're all sharing this. They said, hey, I just got this other PhD who came in here and said he wants to go to Alabama and be a chicken plucker. What's this all about? Well, apparently somebody, some Korean who lived in Alabama said, hey, there's some jobs over here. Yeah. If you can get a visa, come on over, you know. But that was fascinating, actually, learning about the whole visa process. But it was kind of an interesting dual role, though, because I was an embassy wife. So I was going to embassy parties, learning some things that maybe I shouldn't know as a CNN reporter. <laughs> People are a little nervous about CNN reporter being at the party. But I had to set up this, you know, Chinese wall between that person and the reporter person. Right. But again, there's another there's another example where you created the job. That is true. But there was a hole in the market. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you jumped it, it, in it. Well, you know, Eason, bless his heart, took a chance on me because I had never been on camera. And oh, Lord, if you looked at my tapes from all those years, you would see the many hairdos of Jeannie Apostle was my name back then, my married name. I had so many hairdos and I redid my stand up so many times. My poor crew, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I had been out in the field with reporters before and I knew, you know, how long it should be. And I knew, but I didn't really feel I had any backup. I didn't have any producer. So it was just me, the bureau chief, my cameraman, my sound man and an interpreter, you know? So I was totally relying on them to help me navigate, you know, the whole world there. But it was fascinating, honestly. And then I get into this Korean soap opera. That was the craziest thing in the world, you know. How did that happen? So the embassy wives, you know, got together a lot and for different luncheons and teas. And I was at some embassy wife thing one day, and one of the other women said, you know, KBS... Uh, the Korean Broadcasting Station and Network is looking for an American to play a role in a period drama. And I said, well, I don't speak Korean. They said, they don't care. You know, you'll figure it out. You'll pronounce the lines. There won't be that many lines. (laughs) So I go in for the audition and the director is there and he says, turn sideways. And I turn sideways and I didn't know what he was doing. And he said, okay, you're in. And then I figure out he's looking for a big nose because the slang term for Americans in Korea is big nose. It's a word. Really? Yeah. So he just wanted to make sure my nose was big enough that I really look like an American. Right. So I definitely don't look Korean. I don't look Korean. Yeah. No. Well, I wouldn't even blonde back. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what your hairdo was at the time. Yeah, that's right. I don't look Korean. But anyway, he hired me. So I was in six episodes with this super famous actress. Her name is Ha Hira. And to this day, if I go into a Korean dry cleaner or grocery store or something, and I say I was in that drama series called Mondong, they go to the Korean uh, video store, you know, and look it up or they look it up online because she was so famous. I wasn't famous, but I was her teacher in this series. So I, Did uh, you, have you to know, sing? No, no, no. I just spoke these lines. But I'll tell you, it was like memorizing a math formula. I had no idea what I was saying. And the costumes, it was like, it was so elaborate. It was like Roots. You remember that TV series yeah, Roots? Yeah. It was like the Roots of Korea. Super famous show, right? And it was mm-hmm. a period drama set around the turn of the century. They built this whole 
sailing ship, you know, this wooden sailing ship. And I came sailing in with my big picture hat and my Victorian oh, no. gown. And, you know, it was, it was so. But there you princess. are, Jeannie, when you first thought uh, when you were little that you were a princess and you didn't oh, belong in that little place. And there you right. were, a okay. princess in Korea. Ta-da. And bless my father's heart. He watched every single episode. Uh, I sent him the VHS tapes from Korea, and he watched every one-hour episode, even though I was in it for, like, you know, a minute or two in each one. He watched the whole thing just to see his daughter flubbing the Korean. But they finally had a mercy killing, because I'm sure I was a national embarrassment, you know, <laughs> to everybody at KBS, because my Korean was just so bad. But learning Korean, I'm a language buff. I love languages, and I speak a few. But Korean is particularly difficult for English speakers to learn. Mm -hmm. The vowels are very hard to distinguish. You know, it's very, and you can say the wrong thing very easily. So I, it would have taken me years, you know, learn how to speak Korean properly. So and, I got away um, with it. CNN was okay with your princess. CNN was fine with that. I checked it with CNN. In addition to that, while I was at CNN, I took a month off and came to California and started doing some infomercial work. That's how I got into infomercials. A former producer from CBS had started an infomercial company and he said, will you come over and work on these Bruce Jenner projects with me? They're fitness projects. And I did that. And then uh, a couple months later, he said, we go to Barcelona and set up a shoot for Bruce in an Olympic stadium. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You know, this is like, and he said, I don't want to pay for the venue. I said, <laughs> first of all, I know Barcelona, I speak Spanish, but come on, you're never going to get this venue, an Olympic venue to shoot this infomercial. It's just not going to happen. So he said, well, just, I'll give you a first class ticket. You go. And, you know, I said, okay, first class ticket, yeah. Barcelona, I'll take it. So I go over there and I figure, okay, which is the Olympic venue that the least amount of people will go to? And I figure it's the velodrome, you know, where the bicycle, unfortunately, you know, bikes are great, but not a lot of people attend those. So I go in the velodrome, I find the top guy. I said, we got Bruce Jenner. He's a former Olympic athlete. You know, we just want to shoot. We'll be in and out of half a day. So he said, okay. I couldn't believe it. And I got a signature and they put everybody on a plane, you know, two days later, they put everybody on a plane, get over there and shoot the whole thing. So that was kind of a hero moment in the infomercial world. Oh, wow. And you were a bit of a trailblazer there. I guess so. You know, it was just a lot of fun. You know, anything that involves a free plane ticket and hotel room, I'm there. <laughs> I also did a travel show. I syndicated a travel show with somebody called me. I can't even remember where this fits in the timeline. It all kind of mushes together. But one year, this was not when I was living in Korea, when I was living in the United States. Somebody called from Chicago and said, we've got this syndicated travel show and we need a producer to run all the crews and the correspondence in different cities around the world. So your job is to go into a city, find the fun things to do, you know, spend a week finding the fun things to do, and then shoot a half hour show. Wow, what a great job. I mean, really. I mean, you know, twist my arm mm -hmm. and you'll get paid well. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So we go to Germany, we go to Spain, to several cities in Spain, we went to Mexico, went on a cruise, did a bunch of different things, Jamaica. And 
just had a blast. But while we were over there, the crew was going to mutiny because these people who were didn't know anything about TV, these people who were funding the thing, were not paying us, right? And so I had to try to keep the crews, because they're checking their bank account saying, oh, we haven't gotten paid yet. We're not going to work anymore. We're not going to shoot. Oh. So I had to try to keep everybody together. It was quite a challenge, but it was fun. I, I mean, your experiences are just uh, just amazing. What would you say is a theme for your life? What if you had to give it a theme? I think optimism and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I think the combination of those two have made me successful. You know, I and also a sense of wanting to help other people, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago, I started working with startup companies. You know, I started out by just mentoring them and helping them through, you know, navigate different issues, different problems based on my experience in business. Not that I had worked in startups, although I did. But, you know, I really wasn't coming from a really experienced place 10 years ago. I am now. And in fact, I must say that the Capital Factory in Austin, which is the center of gravity, they call themselves the center of gravity for the tech universe in Texas, just gave me Mentor of the Year award oh, over wow, 200 congrats. other mentors. Yeah, thank you. So there are 200 mentors statewide in Texas. I didn't even know this was a thing, but they had a summit last Thursday and they gave me this award. And I felt so good about it because I feel like I do that as a volunteer. I help startup companies you know, through these entities like the Capital Factory, like SKU in Austin, which helps CPG companies, skincare, hair care, mm -hmm. food and beverage and all that. And then one in LA called Expert Dojo. So through all of these entities, I give my time away and mentor people and help them, you know, grow their businesses. And there have been some really successful businesses come out of it. I'm very excited. One of my companies in LA, Creator Up, just got their Series A $5 million round and they're doing very well. I'm just, I'm working with this amazing company in Austin now. It's a game company called Million on Mars. The last game I played was Pong, you know, so I don't really know about video games, right? But the woman, the CEO, who's really brilliant, Carrie Waters, 45 year old woman, really smart. This is her fourth startup. She read my book and she said, you're such a great storyteller. I want mm. you to help me with the books that accompany the game. So I've now been hired by this company to help them with the books and with content creation and other things. But I'm getting into the world of gaming now and learning about, and I learn from all these companies that I mentor too. So it's just stimulating. There's so much cool stuff going on out there in the startup world. So it, in your in your book, you talk about, you say every new project is a chance to reinvent yourself. Yes. Yeah. Why do you think reinventing yourself at any age is important? I think it's important to not get stale. You know, I've, that's why I've tried to keep my skills up as I've gone along. I think that, you know, for me, I can never be bored, you know, so that's just my thing. But I think that even if you're the person who can avoid boredom, you really need to, the world is changing fast and you have to keep up 
and keep your skills up. But that wasn't the answer to the question was. That was a terrible answer to that question. Bad guess, excellent host, really good question, but I didn't answer that question. I'm like a politician, you know, you ask one question and they answer another one. I just answered the question that was in my mind, right? Oh, that's fine. You know, to do these startups, it really takes, it very often takes a big leap of faith yes. to maybe leave your job, start something, start something totally new. It seems yes. to be in your DNA. You know, what advice would you have for people to take a big leap in their life and career? It's really about believing in yourself. And you know, honestly, the founder's journey in a startup is there's always points along the way where they're questioning themselves and doubting themselves. And once they take on other people and they take on investment, then the doubt grows even bigger because, oh no, they've got more responsibility now. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? And so part of my job that I see as a mentor is to lift them up, give the wind beneath their wings and just give them back, reflect back to them the reasons they got into this in the first place. A lot of startup founders are solving a problem that they had themselves, somebody in their family had, or they've noticed, you know, in the world. And so, you know, they're motivated. Almost all the founders I've talked to come with good intentions and they're motivated to try to solve a problem. They're not just out there trying to get rich. Not at all. So I think that, you know, somebody who wants to start something new, I would just say, you've just got to point your feet in the right direction and take that first little baby step, you know, and even if it means just making a phone call to somebody who is already in the field you're interested in being in, doing a little market research on your own, going out and asking people about a product that you might want to bring to marketplace. There's a lot of easy things you can do without spending a dime. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can do to get started without spending a dime. And a lot of that has to do with finding what the product market fit would be. That's the really important part of starting a company is, are you a solution in search of a problem or are you solving a problem that exists? It's really important to be solving the problem. Don't just build some cool piece of tech because you think it's cool. Right, and it also sounds like that first step has to come with intention. Exactly. Take take that first step. And even if it's a little baby step, you build momentum over time. Exactly. Is that what you call the entrepreneurial mindset? Yes. That's it. And also, I don't feel that I could, I know we've only got like one minute left, but I just have to say that I read Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, which I recommend to everyone, right? About when you're blocked, you know, it's about taking away the fear of moving forward and being creative and so forth. I think we all channel what we do on earth, you know, so we're all channeling it from another place. It's just like musicians do this, doctors do this. You know, there's something working through their hands. There's something working through your life whether you call it God or spirit guides, your angel, your muse, whatever it is, it's working through you. And so the biggest thing is you've got to get out of your own way. Hmm. Any advice on how to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's how do you teach someone to be fearless? 
That's a really hard, I've thought about that a lot. You know, people have asked me, how were you so fearless? And I just was, you know, but look, here's the thing. I was a nobody. Nobody knows who I am. I, I don't even have a name now, you know, that anybody would recognize. I came from nowhere. I didn't come from money. Yet I had this big life. I sang in the White House just because I called them up on the phone and say, hey, I got a band. Would you like to hear my band? And that's how I ended up in the White House. You know, you just have to put yourself out there. And if you're afraid of putting yourself out there, then do it by email. You know, start mm -hmm. by email, start through social media, start through your friendship group. And then a friend of a friend of a friend might know someone who can help you. You just can't expect it to fall on you. You have to take some initiative. True. And that really is the theme of your life, I have to say. <laughs> Jeannie, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. I've loved learning more about your life and career. It really has been an incredible journey so far. And I know you're not done yet. How can my listeners find out more about you and your book, Start Me Up, which I highly recommend? Great stories in there, great personal stories and advice. How can we find Thank out more? Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Well, I am startupgenie at gmail.com. So I talk to people if they have startup ideas. I'm happy to talk to people. I am also on Twitter at Startup Genie. I'm not very active on Twitter, but it's Twitter and Instagram, Startup Genie. LinkedIn, Genie Edmonds, J-E-A-N-N-I-E. Edmonds, E-D-M-U-N-D-S. I've had three names. I've gone back to the OG original name. <laughs> so that's how you can find me. And, you know, I really appreciate, honestly, Bonnie, what you're doing for women who are often not recognized once we get over 60. It's amazing that you have this opportunity for women and this platform for women to talk about things. I think it's just wonderful. I listened to your podcast with the woman director who just changed her life and, and did the movie about women over 60, which I enjoyed. Oh, yes. I just watched last week. I Melissa loved it. Davey. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Well, you are so inspiring. And that's why I absolutely love doing this podcast, because oh. it's these stories that really inspire us to own who we are at any age. And well, it's true. And, you know, there are a lot of people who feel stuck and they're stuck and they have to, you know, be in jobs because they're supporting someone. I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, uh, la di da, just leave your job. No. But there are things you can do even while you're in a job that you can start a little side hustle. You know, mm -hmm. there are things you can do even if you feel like you're constrained. Lots of potential for us. We have way too much potential to say we're done. Thank you again, Jeannie. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Badass Women. If you like the show, please leave a rating, a review, and subscribe. Show is available on all outlets and now on Apple Music. And a special thanks to my producer, Kevin Clayton, and the whole team at I Am Music Group that makes this podcast happen each week. And again, if you are going through perimenopause or menopause and looking for some relief and want products you can rely on, but want to keep it natural, you'll love the products that Kindra offers. They offer science-backed estrogen-free products, a community, and really helpful guidance along the journey. 
Check out their website for more info, www.ourkindra.com. Okay, badass women, that's a wrap for this week. Till next week, be bold and be your badass self.